0: everyone and thank you for joining me i'm tracy harris and this is at home in my head the podcast that explores life in the cottage at woodland corners Perspectives can change based on where we're standing. A person on the periphery of a hurricane will have a different experience than someone directly in its path. My guests today are writer and accidental border activist Annie Hartnett and Mariana Trevino-Wright, Executive Director of the National Butterfly Center. Mariana, who has grown up in the path of our immigration hurricane, has found herself embroiled in a bitter legal battle facing off against powerful special interests, fear-mongering propaganda, and ultimately the U.S. government. I invited Annie to talk about a recent border trip because I wanted to be able to distinguish between fact and fiction with regard to competing, changing, and disturbing narratives I've been watching in the media. Annie encouraged me to include Mariana if I wanted a window into the reality of what our immigration system has become. I wanted to hear and share first-hand accounts of the situation. I have only once gone through a checkpoint at the southern border. It was years ago, fleeting, and I hadn't even driven outside the U.S., Annie has been to the border area multiple times as an activist, and Mariana lives this situation day in and day out. She exists in the path of a hurricane that never stops, while I exist miles away on the periphery, relying on media reports to try and understand what's happening. During our conversation, some portions may sound extreme or even contentious. For portions that sound extreme, I, like Annie and Mariana, encourage people to do their own research. I was shocked at how easy it was to verify most of what I was told during this conversation. The information is hiding in plain sight, and reminds me very much of how easy it was to find information that challenged Christian narratives once I knew what to look for. For portions that sound contentious, it would be easy for people to hear these exchanges and want to choose a side. I would encourage listeners to instead keep in mind that it can be a luxury a privilege, to be hopeful and optimistic. It can be a sign that someone is on the periphery of a bad situation rather than in the path of it. Cynicism isn't always pleasant to hear, but it can be born of being ground down and seeing so much oppression that hope and optimism are lost. It's easy for some of us to hope. For others, it's actually daring to be hopeful, to the point that hope becomes something remote or a sign of naivete. After my conversation with Mariana, I had to think long and hard. Would I be so optimistic and hopeful if I were battling the U.S. government in court? If I were seeing increased militarization and authoritarian abuse as a normal part of my life's context? One perspective upon which all of us agree is that the right thing to do is to always work to do the right thing. To oppose corruption, abuse, inhumanity, dehumanization, and cruelty. And to promote humanity, respect, understanding, and kindness. With me today are Annie Hartnett and Mariana Trevino Wright. Annie, would you like to go ahead and just give a little bit of background? Sure.
1: The way I fell in love with the part of the border that is the most controversial right now, which is South Texas, where a lot of hoopla around immigration and border walls and et cetera is going on. I followed an organizer for a Texas Sierra Club. I like to hike and do outdoorsy things, kayak, et cetera. It was just random. I got sort of a call. We're taking a group of people down to the U.S.-Mexico border. And if you're a Sierra Club member and you're interested in learning more about this area, we're going to Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge. There's a protest organized to protest the building of a border wall. And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I've never been down there. I traveled a ton growing up, and I've crossed so many international borders. The idea of the U.S. building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico was just sort of appalling to me. I was immediately interested in the, in the issue, and I went down there, and I just sort of fell in love with the place and the people. And one of the people I met, and I think this was 2016, right, Mariana? That first big protest at San Antonio National Wildlife Refuge?
2: It was August of 2017.
1: Oh, it was. Okay. So there you go. I met Mariana there very briefly. And then later I was doing an interview project and a, like a publication called why are you marching Texas? I decided to interview that I would like to interview Mariana. So I drove down and just over the years, I've been going back and forth between Austin and south texas whenever i got a chance you know which is not that often i work full-time i have a family but each time i've learned so much it's such a rich area culturally biodiversity wise and it's so surprising and it's so infuriating to me the narrative that's being spun to justify militarizing our border spending massive amounts of money so this is how we met. This is how I got involved in the No Border Wall movement with Mariana. I think since then, we've become friends. So I connect with her on a deep level, just the way I connect with that area of Texas. Other than that, besides being a sort of accidental activist, I'm a mom. I'm a full-time editorial manager for a company that publishes textbooks. I think that's, that's enough. And Mariana,
0: what about yourself?
2: I am a valley girl, Rio Grande Valley, and the executive director of the National Butterfly Center. It is a project of the North American Butterfly Association, and it anchors a a section that's about 2,000 acres large of the lower Rio Grande Valley Wildlife Conservation Corridor. So, our property, which is a revegetation project, a demonstration garden focused on planting host plants and nectar plants for butterflies, is right there in this pearl. The the conservation corridor is like a string of pearls on the Rio Grande River that's been in conservation development since the 1970s with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, private landowners, and nonprofits like the North American Butterfly Association, they decided 50 years ago that this was important to do because less than 5% of our native habitat remains in South Texas. And South Texas is the most biologically diverse and rich area of the state. We have 11 biologically distinct ecosystems that come together in a four-county region that would fit inside San Diego, California County, San Diego County. And so this is, you know, the subtropics of the United States, this incredibly rich area in terms of natural resources, more bird species, more butterfly species than anywhere in the United States. Here at the tip of the Central U.S. Flyway, on the Rio Grande River, which is the drinking water source for over 6 million people in South Texas. And I took this job to write grants, to teach children, to help, you know, grow up the next generation of environmentally conscious land stewards. And instead, on July 20th, 2017, I found government contractors at the National Butterfly Center cutting down our trees and mowing down our our brush. And when I confronted them, and I said, who are you and what the hell are you doing here? They said, the government sent us. And they went on to say to clear this land for border wall. And that was nine months before any congressional vote or appropriation Authorizing or funding border wall construction. We filed suit after that. That kicked off my, gosh, now we're into year four of this border wall battle. An education that's like, you know, really getting thrown into the deep end of the pool concerning immigration, the Department of Homeland Security, the Constitution, (laughs) the militarization of a community that is ripe for predation and exploitation because it is primarily people of color, immigrants, low education, low income, and we see this is happening not only for the benefit of billion-dollar corporations like Elbit, but also for the politicians that supposedly represent us and are basically on the payrolls of those corporations, including the for-profit prisons for which the U.S. taxpayer is now the largest customer. So that's who I am and what I do these days. Before we begin with the broader conversation,
0: Annie, you had a few words of introduction that you wanted to share about your perspective on immigration to start us off.
1: Tracy, now that I've listened to the podcast... Uh, that we recorded, I realized that I didn't say almost the most important thing and the thing that I wish I had said at the very beginning, and that is that migration is a human right and that immigrants actually help the United States. They fuel our economy and they bring new ideas, creativity and culture. I think you mentioned at least once during the podcast that migrants are often model citizens. Um, Statistically, they do commit fewer crimes than people born in the United States. For the capitalists in the audience, they are very, very good for the economy. According to the George W. Bush Institute, (laughs) and I quote, immigrants grease the wheels of the labor market by flowing into industries and areas where there is a relative need for workers where bottlenecks or shortages might otherwise damp growth. So that's coming from the George W. Bush Institute. Immigrants pay more than $90 billion in taxes every year and receive only about $5 billion in welfare from the state. So that's a net gain for the government of $85 billion in taxes. There's another pretty good article in time recently and it includes these statistics and I'll I'll send you a link immigrants are 14% of the US population but they started a quarter of all new businesses and earned over a third of all the Nobel prizes in science given to those affiliated with US universities and then the other thing that article talks about and I've heard this in a lot of other places too is because we have such an aging population the Social Security Administration is going to end up spending more money than it collects. By 2035, its $2.9 trillion reserves will be completely gone. And we, people like me, and maybe some of you listening, will only get 80% of the benefits you're entitled to. One way that this can be avoided is by... um, Increasing immigration, allowing for an increase in immigration, both illegal and legal, because immigrant workers are younger, they work longer, and pay more into the system. According to a 2013 projection, immigrants will contribute half a trillion dollars into the Social Security Trust Fund over the following 25 years. Over the following 75 years, they will contribute at an even faster rate for an estimated total of four trillion dollars. I guess, you know, that's a bottom line thing. Immigrants benefit the United States enormously economically and stand to do so even more in the future. And I can't believe I didn't say any of that during the podcast, because the narrative has been framed so well that immigration should be stopped or slowed. That we even perpetuated that attitude in our discussion, which makes me sad. Instead of wel- welcoming immigrants, we should be welcoming immigrants because they are good in all sorts of ways. Um, and also because it's the, the right thing to do. So thanks for letting me just record this little edition. And I would love it if you would just put it right up front.
0: So with the change of administration, there has been a shift in philosophy about the southern border, and there have been changes to how it's being run. And as a result, there is a lot of chatter, a lot of claims that are happening. There are politicians that are saying things, you turn on the TV, you hear one thing, you then turn it on later and you hear something else. And there's a lot of accusation, there's a lot of defense. There's a lot of disagreement about what the situation is, whether this is normal levels of surge, whether this is some sort of crisis surge. And in all of this, I had my head spinning and I was wondering, how is a person supposed to know what to believe? How are they supposed to know what's going on? And when I heard that you had been down to the border and that you were coming back, I decided that would be a great opportunity to check it out and see what was happening to find out What is going on? I
1: can't answer that question, but I can tell you what I saw when I was there, what I've seen over and over again when I visited South Texas. And that is this completely shocking level of militarization that's still going on now. I think Mariana can speak to this much better than I can, but from where Mm. I'm sitting, it doesn't look like there's been that much change that's happened on the ground in South Texas concerning immigration or border wall construction. So while I was down there, I was staying at an Airbnb in a trailer park that's probably, what, a mile and a half from the border? I'm not sure. What you're struck by when you go there is the number of Border Patrol helicopters flying around, the number of Border Patrol trucks you see, since last time I was there, there were two abbreviated stretches of wall. I'm not sure how long that Bannon Colfage wall is, but the wall outside Benson Rio Grande State Park looks to be about half a block long. I think I could walk around it in five minutes if I wanted to, so it's completely useless. I don't know how much money was spent to build that. But what I saw, again, was just like a regular community trying to go on with its life and being sort of almost like a pinata filled with political points that both sides are hitting. They're kind of batting it back and forth. Journalists from elsewhere are reporting on what's happening at the border. They don't know the context. They don't know the history. They don't live there themselves there is this kind of out of control spin machine happening, and there has been about around immigration and the border and it's all racist. a lot of it is designed to make us afraid of people who don't look like us, people who don't speak the same language, people who have traveled from another country, and as someone who grew up overseas, I know what it's like to be to live somewhere other than the country you were born in. People and animals have been migrating and will continue to migrate. It's a natural thing. What I saw when I went down there with Mariana was a beautiful river when we were on the river and also hiking. I saw amazing birds, green jays, Altamira Orioles, birds you can only see in that part of South Texas,
0: just spectacular bird watching. There was something about a CNN video of migrants that was set up by the Border Patrol. Did you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Marianne invited me to have dinner at her house on Saturday night. So we were safe with our COVID and we had dinner in the backyard. And as soon as I walked in with my mask on, she said, Oh my God, you'll never believe what's happening. This CNN video appears to be a version of another video that's being circulated by the right wing media. And if you listen very closely to the end of one of the videos, you will hear presumably the border patrol agent talking to the coyote. She had me put on headphones, you know, so I could listen to the low conversation happening in the background. Meanwhile, Mariana's on the phone or are texting with CNN, the Associated Press, Beto, like all these people trying to like kind of raise an alarm. This isn't reporting. This is something that seems to have been pre-planned between the border patrol agent and the Coyote and, and who invited the border patrol agent, invited the press. He knew where they were gonna be. He knew what time they were gonna be there. I've watched both videos a number of times. Mariana has created a transcript from one of the videos of what everyone's saying in Spanish. It seems that CNN, right now I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, got tricked into telling the story that the Border Patrol wanted them to tell to justify additional funding for Border Patrol. DHS already has a huge bloated budget. Border Patrol has a huge budget. They want to operate away from the border as well, and they already do to some extent. They might have worried that with the Biden administration coming in, you know, border security might not be as much of an issue. He has a different attitude toward migrants than Trump did. I think they are working really hard with their PR machine, inviting Breitbart News News. They probably kind of arranged that migrant crossing that was on CNN. They're working really hard to get that narrative out. And Texas politicians are helping them, like Ted Cruz, all dressed up in bulletproof vests and the boat has guns. I mean, the whole purpose of it is to make it appear that migrants are dangerous and that they need this protection. Well, you know, just two weeks ago, Mariana and I and her husband and their two dogs We're boating up and down that same stretch of river, bird watching, you know, having a lovely time, chatting, seeing amazing wildlife. It's all an act. I mean, I think they know it's an act. It's infuriating to me. I can't imagine how it must be for Mariana, who lives on the border, who grew up there, and who sees this BS every
2: single day. So, Mariana? Well, I'd like to circle back to Tracy's question about how is the average person to go about figuring out the truth? for themselves. And the first thing you can do, unless Border Patrol or the Department of Homeland Security has taken down their website, is you can Google it, migrant crossings by year, or immigrant apprehensions by year, and you'll get the Department of Homeland Security or CBP or Border Patrol's own data. They publish their own numbers. And what you will see is what Washington Post and Associated Press and MSNBC and others are having to now walk back, which is there is no surge. There is no invasion or inundation. Are the 2021 numbers right now larger than last year? Yes, because COVID, because Trump had stationed the CBP officers at the middle of the bridge with razor wire, with concertina wire, prohibiting anyone from crossing and asking for asylum. You know, we had 2019 members way beyond what we have right now. And then, of course, you go back to like 1996, 97, 98. The numbers are way higher than that. And back then, there were only 5,000 Border Patrol agents apprehending, you know, what, one and a half million people a year. And now we have 20,000 Border Patrol agents. And they might apprehend half that number this year. So there's the video that it appears Breitbart and their union, Border Patrol Union, filmed together from the riverbank, where the world's dumbest criminals caught themselves on tape boasting about paying this human trafficker to bring these migrants over. And then we know from the other dumb criminals who happen to be a bunch of local politicians and MAGA men who helped CNN get out on the river the same day, the same time, the same place, so that Ed LaVandera got the same shot of these migrants being trafficked by the same trafficker, the same raft. So the video gets pushed out by Our congressman, Representative Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat in name only, and the second highest recipient of campaign funds from the GEO Group. And he also has a Border Patrol agent, a CBP fellow as his chief aide in his office. In addition to that, his brother is the county sheriff who benefits from all of the federal dollars that go to DHS for border security including things like Operation Stone Garden, which Texas benefits from, and the high-intensity drug trafficking area task forces that Texas and Texas police benefit from. So this is all about the money. State GOP Chair Alan West pushed out the video, and they're pushing out the one that came to them from Border Patrol. Henry Clayer has now put out an official statement that he got that video from Border Patrol where the Border Patrol agent and presumably this Jason Jones with Breitbart, who put out the video on his Breitbart website, Tripwires and Triggers, which itself stands for booty trap, they set a trap for CNN. They set a trap for America to believe this bogus incident. And Ed Bandera admits he watched this trafficker go back and forth with at least six loads of people that Border Patrol let into the country or if you believe the video where they're talking, they actually paid the trafficker to bring these people in. Now they're holding them all near this area under the Ensalduas Bridge, where they've put up hurricane fencing and they're keeping these women and children under the bridge outside, in basically still dog kenneling for days. The ACLU has already filed FOIA's. They're looking at legal action because it's the same cruel and inhumane treatment. But now they're holding them outside there and at this Donna Tent facility. And they can't hold them in the McAllen Border Patrol Processing Station or the Ursula Street Detention Center because those are both being remodeled. And that remodeling and the bid of the construction and the budgeting for it and the appropriation for it all began after the video cameras got inside there in 2018, 2019, and were able to see the inhumane conditions in which the migrants were being kept. So now all these facilities are being remodeled, and they're not being remodeled to create more humane conditions. They're being remodeled so that if cameras ever get in again, all of the cruelty would be better concealed. And I know that because Border Patrol is an agency built on racism, violence, white supremacy, and that's not going to change. We saw that in their Facebook group that was exposed. We saw that in the way they treat people. We see that in the government's own papers and research put forth about the lack of accountability, the lack of discipline, the fact that this is a rogue agency, And the union is in charge. Border Patrol Command, I don't think, has any real authority over what goes on there. And I can say that for nearly 10 years of dealing face-to-face with command in my community and in my sector and even for this part of the United States where I deal with Chief Manuel Padilla, the reality is we have a contrived crisis that the Border Patrol Union and their partners have orchestrated for billions of dollars. And it's not enough to have the right-wing media telling their story. They've now managed to trick the left-wing and the mainstream media into telling the same tale. And when we realized what had happened and who was involved, the local politicians and MAGA men and where they had accessed the river at this control, border patrol, boat ramp behind the border wall and everything else. I reached out to a justice producer at CNN with whom I have had multiple legitimate communications over the last four years. And I told her this was a setup and they didn't want to hear it and they ran with it anyway.
1: Can I go back to your question about how will people know what's going on? How can people get information that they can trust? Sure. Well, what happened a couple of weeks ago when I went down to the border during the midst of this so-called border crisis and the CNN video and the Breitbart video and all the things that have sort of come to light have driven this home. I really encourage people to go see for themselves because every writer, every podcast producer, every media outlet, everyone who creates media, it's impossible to do it completely objectively. And they're coming to that creative process with all the biases they have, the beliefs, the agendas, even though they may be trying really hard not to offer opinion, every time you choose a word, you're making a choice about how people are going to understand what you're talking about. And I'm a writer, so I'm really aware of this. If I was just reading even really reliable sources of media like the Washington Post, I don't think I would really have any sense of what it's like. I've just really encouraged people to go and see for themselves. It's nothing like You know, seeing something with your own eyes, talking to people who live there, kind of getting a feel for a place. And then the second thing is listen to sources that don't have an agenda, that don't have a financial agenda from advertising dollars or from campaign contributions from privately run detention centers. Pay attention to what someone's background is and what agenda they might have.
0: Can I just ask, where have you seen some really good reporting on this?
1: There's a good analysis in the Washington Post that looks at the numbers, the data that Mariana was talking about, the Border Patrol's own statistics. And as she said, 2019, there were an incredible number of people apprehended trying to cross our southern border. You have to understand that the folks who cross, oftentimes, they're not trying to sneak in. They turn themselves into Border Patrol as soon as they get over the river. They are coming to seek asylum. You will hear this again and again. They look for a Border Patrol agent to turn themselves in. And then there's supposed to be a process for those people to request asylum, to have their hearing, to be able to state their case for why they need asylum. People are fleeing incredibly violent and horrifying situations from El Salvador, from Mexico, and from other countries. There are Haitians coming. The Washington Post did a really good article. I just, wrote a great, I just wrote a great essay that you should totally read about my trip with Mariana on the border. There are a lot of like individual journalists who, who have a history. Um, Melissa Del Bosque, Todd Miller, who have focused on border politics for years and years. I would be skeptical of anything written by someone who doesn't really have the context and might have just sort of flown in from somewhere and looked around for a few days and written an article. Now the incentive is you want people to read your article so that you can have advertising dollars. You know, something scary is clickbait. So if you call it a crisis and blow it up into this terrible thing, the surge, all these migrants are coming, fear, fear, fear. People
0: read those things
1: the media is responsible for a lot of this indoctrination that's happening.
0: There is a stark contrast in just looking at the data versus looking at the narratives that people believe. Even I can see they put up these stories about immigrant crime. And then when you look at crime statistics, immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, are far less likely to be victimizing people through crime than citizens the concern is crime, it seems like you'd want more immigrants in the population because they're less likely to be criminal and they would water down some of the citizen crime. And you have other narratives like the idea that they're stealing jobs. But when you look at data for that, I know Cato Institute doesn't like to think of itself as conservative, but a lot of folks view it as a conservative leaning think tank. And even Cato has a piece on how they are not stealing your jobs. They're not displacing American jobs. There was a narrative that went around that was this catch and release thing, right? So catch and release, and then they don't show up for their hearings. But when you look it up, they show up for the hearings almost 90% of the time. And if you give them representation, like assign them a caseworker, that almost goes to 100%. Catch and release works. And it, it keeps us from having this massive buildup at the border by letting people go into the population. They aren't acting criminally nine times out of 10. And they will come back and show up for their hearing, especially if they understand what's happening and have an advocate.
2: What you just mentioned brings us to a current story. A story that's going out that Border Patrol is releasing all of these immigrants without even giving them their court date. Well, Border Patrol doesn't assign the court date. So that whole story is a false premise. But the headline and the story go out, and I don't know how much of it is journalists who are lazy or incompetent or complicit. And Annie has been kind to the Washington Post. I've had years now of first-hand experience with the Washington Post, and I will tell you, anything written by Nick Miroff is totally slanted toward white supremacy, fascism, border patrol. He's able to veil it, but very thinly. You have to even get to know the authors and their leanings and biases. in our lawsuit against Border Patrol and CBP and the Department of Homeland Security, our lawsuit was dismissed after 14 months with never a day in court. It was dismissed for reasons the judge cited which were not even part of our claims or our cause of action. So we appealed. We won our appeal. And moving forward, we just filed a second amended complaint, which just mostly lists how all of the things that we documented in our original complaint have continued for the last three, four years, and even gotten worse. The lawyers working for the Justice Department under this current administration have formally objected and filed to have our second amend- amended complaint thrown out. Fortunately, it was filed in PACER, so it's part of the public record. Anyone can see it, but they don't want it to be heard in court because it is wholesale indictment of the agents and their command on the ground in our communities. And our story is not unique. You can talk to any border landowner and you will hear the same stories. The abuse of authority, the property destruction. I've said over the last four years that I have less concern dealing with migrants, traffickers, the bad hombres than I do with Border Patrol because the bad hombres and the migrants and the traffickers just want to move through, not be seen, detected. They don't want to make any trouble. They just want to get about their business. Border Patrol is the complete opposite. They tear up our property they disrespect us. They leave damage. They leave the property unsecured. They harass us and our visitors. They interfere with our business. They do all of that. Not the bad hombres.
1: Yeah, I'm way more scared of Border Patrol agents than I am of immigrants, that's for sure.
2: They just arrested another Border Patrol agent in the Laredo sector yesterday, I guess. He got involved in some altercation and started waving a weapon around, a loaded weapon. Then, of course, Laredo also had the one that decided to murder, what was it, four sex workers? It's quite frightening
1: when you think that two-thirds of the U.S. population lives within the 100-mile zone that is the U.S. Border Patrol's jurisdiction. So that's 200 million people.
2: Two-thirds of the U.S. population. There's an article out just this week on Border Patrol operating in the state of Michigan and how only 1.6% of their traffic stops and arrests and other things were legitimate. The rest were all racial profiling and harassment of people of color. And Border Patrol, as an agency, as an industry, has expanded now through BORTAC, which is their fully militarized police unit, like their elite SWAT team. And BORTAC operates around the globe. You can Google this. Go to the CVP website and look up BORTAC. They're operating in foreign countries around the globe, deploying border security Walls, for profit prisons, detention, surveillance, civil rights violations, all of that. And it is BORTAC that marched against people in Washington, D.C. It's BORTAC. And there are drones that were deployed in Minneapolis and in Seattle last year. It is BORTAC that is becoming the domestic military police within the United States. That is Border Patrol's goal.
1: So Border Patrol has kind of extra constitutional rights. The Fourth Amendment protects Americans from random and arbitrary stops and searches. However, at the border, those principles don't apply. So Border Patrol can search you without a warrant or even suspicion of wrongdoing. So they can conduct a routine search of your luggage or a vehicle, So if you go down to South Texas, you pass through a Border Patrol checkpoint at Falfurius. There are Border Patrol checkpoints all around. And even in places you wouldn't think are part of Border Patrol's jurisdiction, anything within 100 miles of any border. So that means that cities like New York, Los Angeles, Houston, Philadelphia, San Antonio, I think Chicago are all within the Border Patrol's jurisdiction because they're within 100 miles of the border, which is also the coastline. So a huge number of people are subject to that, the possibility of being stopped by border patrol and searched.
2: And not just, you know, northern, southern and eastern and western coastal borders, but every port of entry. So every single airport in this country is an extra constitutional zone where border patrol and CBP are in charge. And they make up the rules as they go. They're never prosecuted for their wrongdoing. Within the last four years, we had Patricia Gomez, an unarmed immigrant woman shot in the head and killed by a border patrol agent and nothing. That agent's not even being prosecuted. This is what residents of the borderlands fear. It is legitimately what I fear. I fear that I will be killed and mistaken for an immigrant in the brush, that they will claim I threw a rock at them, that they will put drugs or something on my boat and pull me over in the river. And I've been warned by people who were agents that this is exactly the kind of thing they may do to me. Everyone in America should be concerned about the rise of border patrol.
1: The idea Um, that our coming and goings across the border are so controlled is terrifying to me because border militarization can be used to
2: keep people in as well as out. Well, and it's not just on the border. You mentioned Melissa Del Bosque and her reporting. Before her article came out on the surveillance of the border, and it included her FOIAs concerning the dirt box technology, which is the audio surveillance that tricks our cell phones into connecting to them so they can listen to us. I knew it was happening because I could hear the clicking in and out on my cell phone when I was out near the National Butterfly Center. So I knew it was happening, and I told people it was happening. And they were like, oh, you're crazy. You're just hearing things, blah, blah, blah. You're paranoid. Well, then her photos were answered, and she published an article on it. And the planes and the drones with that technology on them, and that technology is now in the aerostat balloons, in the raid towers, in the mobile units they're driving around with the giant telescoping heads and lenses on them. They were flying north of San Antonio all the way to the coast and the river, Corpus and Laredo and down. So not just in the 60-mile swath of the borderlands that used to be called the DMZ for the United States. It's no longer the U.S.'s demilitarized zone. It's fully militarized. But it extends all the way beyond San Antonio, which is, what, 300 miles from us? And they're listening to everyone's cell phone conversations, in addition to the drones with the video surveillance and everything else.
0: And you Are said these, that this, there's been some reporting on this. What is this technology called?
2: Dirt box audio surveillance. And of course, there's been stuff published on the Bortac Border Patrol drones that flew over Minneapolis. It was Bortac and their partners who were the unidentified, all-in-black people grabbing people off the street and throwing them into vans. Most people don't realize that in the last couple of years... Border Patrol was reclassified, so they no longer have to respond to FOIA. And before that, they were only responding to about 20% of the FOIA requests they received. But now they don't have to respond to any, basically. They can just claim it's all national security information.
0: The next bullet point was two new stretches of border wall that were not there the last time you visited the area.
1: One is built uh, along the river. It was built by, um, well, it was, a, it was a non-profit, supposedly nonprofit called We Build the Wall. That involved Brian Colphage, Steve Bannon, and is that guy's name Chris Kobach, Mariana?
2: Yeah, Chris Kobach and Tommy Fisher.
1: And so they collected funds, they, you know, did a fundraising campaign, we're going to build the wall to protect the American people from these migrants and drug cartels and, you know, bad hombres. And they collected a lot of money. And they were funneling hundreds of 1000s of dollars of that money into their own personal accounts, and they were eventually arrested. But the wall they built, Mariana can talk more about this, but it's built right on the edge of the river. So erosion is already undermining it. There are gaps underneath it, and it's going to fall into the river. We saw it a couple times, you know, when we were going uh, north to south on the Rio Grande, we passed that stretch of border wall several times. It's rickety looking. On the U.S. side, they hardly allow anyone to put their boats in. It's like really restricted who can access the river now
2: from the U.S. side. The Border Patrol has virtually eliminated all public access to the river. Yeah, it's a shame. It's just,
1: I mean, it's a beautiful river. The number of birds we saw while we were there on the river for about six hours blew my mind. I've never seen that many different varieties of birds. We saw a plain-bellied water snake swimming across. Just beautiful. That kind of border militarization, that wall... All of the, we saw a gunboat with machine guns fore and aft, multiple Border Patrol helicopters. As soon as we set foot, we decided to take a pit stop at a Father Roy's summer camp. As soon as we set foot on US soil, a Border Patrol helicopter was there within, I would say, within five minutes because there are sensors all along the US side. So as soon as anybody steps onto the U.S. soil, border patrol helicopters show up. The same thing happened when we made another pit stop at the National Butterfly Center. So the level of militarization is more than I've seen at any other international border. The only thing I can compare it to is in 1988, I traveled to what was then Czechoslovakia from Germany. So Soviet era era Czechoslovakia. It was difficult to get a visa. We got one. We were traveling by train and we crossed that German-Czech border. And there was a barbed wire fence. There were a sentry post similar to the ones, well, much less sophisticated than the ones you see at the U.S. border now. There were their version of Border Patrol agents, the Czech version, you know, making sure nobody crossed out Czechoslovakia because they were more concerned with keeping people in than keeping people out. But it was just a horrifying thing to see that kind of militarization on the U.S. border. And so in that analogy, the U.S. is Soviet era Czechoslovakia and Mexico is Germany that's where we are now in our country. We are a nation of people who've been made afraid by the kind of reporting that's happening about immigrants, about terrorists. I think somewhere in my heart, I really believe in, you know, America, the land of the free. And I really want that to be true. And I think, you know, it's always been aspirational, but we've gotten so far away from it.
2: It is heartbreaking. You know, back to this section of wall that we build the wall built. This wasn't Brian Colfage decorated U.S. servicemen project. This was a Steve Bannon Breitbart project. It was a military-grade misinformation campaign, the type that Cambridge Analytica, Steve Bannon's company, is well-known for producing around the globe, These campaigns are designed to sway public sentiment and influence public policy and win elections. And we know how close Bannon is to Trump. He got pardoned on the last day of his presidency, and Bannon is working with him even now to launch whatever is next. So Bannon managed to find Colfage, the perfect taxi. Because anybody who says anything negative against this man who served his country and got blown up and lost both legs and an arm and, you know, forever disfigured is a bad person. But Brian Colfage is a con artist and a fraudster, and it's been proven repeatedly. He set up a GoFundMe to launch a mentorship program for wounded warriors at Walter Reed Medical Center. He raised tens of thousands of dollars. Walter Reed Medical Center, never heard from him, never got a dime, and there's no mentorship program. That's just one example. So they launch, we the people will build the wall because the demon rats in Congress won't give President Trump the money he needs to secure our nation. Well, we had four years under President Trump of bipartisan congressional funding to the tune of billions of dollars for border wall. But the lie was, they're not giving our president the money we need to protect your wives and your daughters from these rapists and your kids from these drug dealers and, you know, your communities from these murderers, all false stuff. And they actually funneled millions into their own pockets. They've both now been indicted, along with other board members and business partners, for fraud fraud and conspiracy to money launder and everything else. Of course, Bannon's been pardoned. But they built a tiny section, less than a half mile of border wall in Sunland Park, New Mexico, a suburb of El Paso. And they held their wallathon fundraisers, and John Jr. was involved, and Kimberly Guilfoyle, and Clark, who used to be a former sheriff in Wisconsin or somewhere, and all these other people who were stumping for them. And their inflammatory rhetoric provoked the Walmart massacre in El Paso. When all of that was happening, I told everybody I knew, including our No Border Wall Coalition, that they were coming to mission next. And indeed, they tried to buy the land next door to us. They weren't able to buy that land, but that landowner introduced them to other people. And they bought the land one property over and built a three-mile wall, illegally, in violation of U.S. treaty, on the banks of the Rio Grande River. We filed suit against them before the International Boundary and Water Commission did, which is a binational treaty organization charged with safeguarding the international boundary, the border, and the Rio Grande River. And to this date, nothing has been done except... They and their lawyers have lied and lied and lied, and the judge, who's a Republican and a Republican appointee, has tolerated it. We're moving forward to trial. This wall may fall into the Rio Grande River before then. There are photos and excellent reporting on it. I crawled under the wall. It's built above the Rio Grande River on a foundation that's only about two and a half feet deep. There was no engineering the engineer working for Tommy Fisher, who built this as a showboat project, as an advertising billboard to influence President Trump, to flatter him. He wound up securing over $2 billion with a fee, including no-bid contracts for government border law from President Trump. That's our tax money funneled to Tommy Fisher thanks to his criminal conspiracy with Colfage and Bannon and We Build the Wall to influence public policy and achieve this goal. And the more these criminals and these politicians beat us, the more money rains down for them. Somebody's got to call them out on this. And the false narratives, the fabricated crises, the bogus numbers. When we reached out to CBS Evening News, they had seen the video. They saw all the evidence that we had to support the fact that CNN was set up and that this other video that Congressman Cuellar and Alan West and others were pushing out was fake. They told us, we understand your frustration, but we have a policy not to call out other media outlets. We got the same response from the Associated Press. They said they didn't want to risk losing access to the politicians and the agency brass. MSNBC has refused to cover any of this.
0: Is no one reporting on an alternative narrative here?
2: The only one who has is the American Prospect. Yeah,
0: and the Guardian.
2: Well, the Guardian alluded to it, but they didn't report on it and break it down the way the American Prospect did.
0: So there's this issue with this video, but then there's a larger issue of what the video is supposed to be portraying. So, for example, when someone says, oh, these immigrants are criminal, they will go and find a case where an immigrant committed a crime and they will look for the most heinous thing they can find, like a murder, if they can get it. And they will hold that up and say, these immigrant murderers are doing violence to people in the U.S. They should not be allowed in. They're all dangerous. What's happening here, what I'm hearing described is this idea that, okay, this they're portraying a specific thing that they have set up that isn't really what's going on. They're using it in a way that's like propaganda. And in the case of somebody that committed a crime, they're taking the exception, not the rule, and trying to portray it as the rule. My question is less about that specific case, because in fact, you could find an immigrant that murdered somebody. That does happen. No one's denying that that occurs. They're just saying that's not the norm. What I'm asking is, is no one reporting that lots of immigrants aren't murdering people? And in fact, most of them are not murdering people, and they murder people less less often than citizens. Not really speaking specifically about this video, because I understand that that is a particular issue, but from a larger standpoint, are there no media outlets that are saying this surge is like a normal thing? There's nothing really happening here that is crisis beyond anything we've ever seen before. Yes, there are.
2: That That has only started in the last week, though, and I think that is directly related to the hell that Jen Budd and myself and others have raised. I understand what you're saying We're calling there, them all out, and, and Esquire and Washington Post and even the Associated Press has now put out a memo saying, don't use words like surge, invasion. So maybe we're at a point where there will be a reckoning. The lie gets all the way around the world before the truth even gets out of bed.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, when, when people do the correction, it, you know, we learned that all through, I think, the, the four years of Trump was that corrections didn't count for much. Once the salacious narrative was splashed all over the headlines, that stuck in people's heads.
1: Yes. yes, yeah, that's it. So the article in the Washington Post is titled, The Migrant Surge, in quotes, at the U.S. Southern Border is Actually a Predictable Pattern. So that's a fact-based, statistic-based article analyzing, is this really an unusual number of people crossing right now? And the answer is no. Every year at this time, there is an increase in the number of people being apprehended trying to cross the border. And also, as Mariana pointed out, people have been waiting. They haven't even been allowed to request asylum. There's like a backlog of people wanting to cross. So that also inflates the numbers. There are ethical journalists and there are people doing good reporting. So, Gus Bova at the Texas Observer is someone to follow. I think I mentioned Melissa Del Bosque. She works for ProPublica. ProPublica is often excellent. Todd Miller wrote several books about border militarization around the world and how the U.S. is expanding its borders outside of its own international borders so that getting Mexican law enforcement to stop people before they even can get here. So Todd Miller is another great person to follow and read. You have to kind of seek it out. You know, if you're just looking at the headlines or you're just looking at what's trending on Twitter, you get a very different idea. And I have my mother-in-law called my husband. What is Annie doing down at the border? She's going to be killed. You know, And she really was frightened for me. CBS, NBC, ABC. The lie is repeated over and over again until people believe it because they hear it coming from every direction. The responsibility is ours to seek out the truth. And it's not necessarily easy. (laughs) You have to pay attention.
0: Our immigration has always been racist. My impression was that when Trump came in and started with the zero tolerance and put these people in place to oversee it, who were just openly hostile to immigration, certain types of immigration, and also openly supportive of inhumane policy, Early on, before they started to realize that the deterrent message didn't sound good, that it was a bad optic, there were a few people who stepped out and said, yes, we're doing the family separations as a deterrent. And then after, really quickly, they stopped saying that, right? So you had like a little short period where they were admitting it, and then they stopped admitting it and started saying, no, 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 this was not a deterrent. We didn't do this as a deterrent. But they had already said it. These are people who are willing to be cruel as a red flag to don't come to the U.S. or we will treat you inhumanely we will steal your children. We will screw you up. I don't think that you could snap back from that in like a couple months, right? Of like a new administration. But I also am concerned that even with the best of intentions, we have a horrible track record with immigration. Politicians here in Texas, when uh, Ted Cruz is posting like a mad dog about immigration, and I keep posting on the threads and just saying, look, immigration has never been good. Trump's policies made it worse. And even now, it may not be good, but we have to work on making it better. And by better, I don't mean stopping the immigration. I mean, being humane to the people who are coming through. First of all, does that sound about right or am I way off base? And second of all, if that is correct, what kind of policies should we be looking for and what should we be supporting in order to make immigration better in the United States?
2: So Border Patrol refers to migrants as "Tonks," And this is something that came to light after their private Facebook group was exposed and some other reporting was done. Now, I've known this my whole life, and I'm 51 years old and a child of the borderlands. Tonk is the sound that is made when your club or your flashlight hits a skull. Border Patrol agents refer to human migrants as tonks. That was way before Trump and persists and will way after Trump. There is no policy that will correct that. When we talk about abolish ICE, abolish Border Patrol, abolish the Department of Homeland Security, we're talking about purging agencies that are corrupt, that the people who work there, who were recruited and hired, will never treat people humanely.
0: Yeah, I would say that it reminds me a lot of the defund police policy discussion.
2: Yep. And that's an excellent point. And, and those of us who know these border patrol agents know the stations. I've been inside them. That's what we will tell you. And I told uh, Suzanne Gumboa of NBC this yesterday when she said, what can border patrol do better? I said, it can't even be border patrol. It has to be medical personnel, social workers, case workers, human rights activists, nonprofits. It cannot be border patrol. They were founded and formed for one reason and built on a history of white hoods and lynchings across the Southern border that are only rivaled in the American South. Only on the Southern border, they were done against Hispanics.
1: I think Tracy, if you take the long view of what the solution is, to help people not need to migrate. You want people to have a stable economy, a stable country that they live in, that they don't have to flee their home. Nobody wants to flee their home. Nobody wants to have to travel hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, and put themselves at the mercy of this law enforcement agency, Border Patrol, spend time in detention, spend time in the hileras. Nobody chooses to do that unless what they are leaving is so much worse. So in the long term, instead of investing all this money in border militarization, we invest in countries that are struggling in Latin America. We invest in the economic infrastructure in El Salvador. We give money to nonprofits who are operating in El Salvador to help the people who live there or in Mexico or in Guatemala. Even more long term, we have to address the climate crisis because that is driving so much of the migration and it will only get worse. People's coffee crops are failing in Ecuador, in Guatemala, in Honduras. Climate change is changing what people can grow and how they can subsist off the land. The number of people wanting to travel north to places that aren't as hard hit by climate change is only going to increase. So in the long, long term, the answer to a lot of questions is addressing the climate change crisis, the real crisis, not the border crisis, the climate change emergency. Drastically and radically, we have to Otherwise, this problem is this issue. It's not a problem. This issue of people wanting to go north is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're also seeing people migrating here from Syria, from different African countries. A lot of that migration, I believe, is related to climate change. I mean, to me, that's the real crisis hanging over all our heads all the time.
0: So first of all, as I listened to the news, I heard the shift that both of you were discussing. I was hearing about this crisis. I was concerned about the crisis. I was wondering why it was happening. And I was listening to the narratives about it's because Biden is too nice and all these people want to come here because they think they're going to get in. And it was just recently that I did start to hear the media saying it really isn't anything unusual, but it is just a recent pushback. On a narrative that I agree was being broadcast everywhere. And so I'm hopeful that that correction will continue going forward. And it sounds like, from what you both are saying, that this is a narrative that people should feel confident pushing back on because it's incorrect to say that this is like some weird, unusual surge. And the other thing that you're saying is, in these discussions, the focus and the attention should be on core issues that are affecting these countries at the source such as climate change drought that is happening as a result of climate change and also if we're going to pour money into a problem of immigration and that's going to be something that we look at as a negative and we want to stop the the flow of people that a good way to do that or a more productive way to do that a more effective way to do that is to take all the money that we're investing in militarizing a border and put that into the countries that need it in order to sustain them. Yes, you have articulated that perfectly, Tracy. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Except I would go way beyond that and tell you the corporations are going to do both and. They really don't give a damn about the migration or caring for the people once they're here, except for profiting in the militarization, the detention And they really are okay with it all. So as these people migrate and they abandon their homes and their countries, even in a time of climate change, who's going to buy up the land? Who's going to be able to desalinate? Who's going to be able to build canopies? The corporations. And it'll be the same ones that profit from them coming here And that's what people need to understand. It's about corruption and capitalism. It's not about human beings or climate change or anything policy related. It is as simple as follow the money. So don't look for solutions. There aren't going to be any coming from our politicians or the corporate interests that pull their strings.
0: What I'm hearing is forget about fixing it.
2: There's not going to be a fix. What the Biden administration has done to date in terms of immigration reform is they've dusted off the old Obama plan. The old Obama immigration plan that was proposed was crafted by the American Medical Association and the American Bar Association. And it required that immigrants apply for asylum and have a 10-year waiting period in this country during which they have a lawyer of record and a doctor of record for 10 years. And they have to see that lawyer and that doctor about every six months and pay them and then have all those records and receipts and 10 years of all of that in order to apply for citizenship. It's the same sort of profiteering that we cry is so egregious by the coyotes that bring them here in the first place.
0: The whole reason that anybody gets away with anything is because the people allow it. When the people decide that they're not going to allow it or when they demand better policy, that's when things start to change. And we've actually been seeing that. So for example, HR one is about reinstigating voting rights So we see the federal government right now saying we are not going to tolerate these state voter suppression laws. We're going to put the Voting Rights Act back in because people wanted it. We had a a huge, huge amount of people of color and black voters in this last election that are expecting to see some results out of this. And part of those results are putting in more people of color and more black uh, representatives in order to uh, more women even to represent those interests better. Then older white men have been representing them. But it took a lot of people getting fed up and airing a lot of ideas and saying, we expect to see something better. We expect to see something that's an improvement. And so what I'm trying to do, especially with this podcast, is to inform people so that it's like, hey, here's what you need to look for. And if that is corporate corruption, if that is climate change, if that is investment in the countries of origin, If that's what we need to be doing that we're not doing now, and if what stands in the way is lethargic governance, you are the people, here's the information, make this the narrative. Tell your politicians, this is what we need to be focusing on, not militarizing the border. Getting people to shift their focus and to stop the distractions of a conversation the conversations around Black Lives Matter or conversations around other political issues that we're seeing, oh, uh, gun regulation is a great example. There are so many distractions in that conversation that one of the first things you hear all the time is mental health, mental health, mental health. But if you eliminated mental health as a factor, violence in the U.S. would be reduced by 4%. So we would still have 96% of the violence in the U.S. that we have now If we could eliminate the violence caused by a mental illness, it's really not a huge input and certainly not in gun violence, except for suicides. And yet it becomes this narrative because it's so much easier than it is to get them talking about regulating guns. So if I don't want you to talk about regulating guns, I get you talking about this other thing. Well, let's go talk about mental health issues instead and then get you away from regulating the guns. And if what's happening is we have these narratives that are making people afraid, and that's feeding into people being willing to continue to fund the militarization of the border in order to support corrupt corporations that make a lot of money out of militarizing it by making people afraid, the answer to me is telling people the truth, changing that narrative, getting people to stop focusing when they hear the fear to say, hey, that's just propaganda We need to be talking about climate change. We need to be talking about investment in these countries, About changing the way we look at our border. That's, to me, the solution.
2: Well, and that definitely needs to be done. I, I will not deny that. I will simply say it is not likely to precipitate solutions the way we would like it to, just like Biden, you know, a new administration, all these new people, women, people of color, He dusts off Obama's old plan crafted by those two agencies and shaves two years off it. That's the only change. So instead of 10 years, it's now eight years. It's not really a solution, is it?
1: But Mariana, to Tracy's point, isn't getting the truth out about what's happening and hoping for change and hoping to awaken people to what's happening, isn't that why you relentlessly... (laughs) Travel around the country, testifying before Congress, testifying before the Texas liege, doing every single interview. I mean, really, you are are just tireless in trying to get the truth out. What I hear Tracy saying is that's not a futile effort. It is worthwhile to tell the truth and keep telling it against the lies, even though you have, we have, you know, I have a very small platform, you have a larger platform, certainly, we don't have the platform that Steve Bannon has, but keep telling our truth over and over again, and trying to look for solutions. I mean, surely that's what is partly your motivation. Because I have to say right now, I've never seen a person with so much energy as you have for speaking the truth and trying to get people to listen. And I really appreciate that about you. And I appreciate that about Tracy, too. Like, let's talk about it. Let's see who we can reach. Maybe we reach one person. Well, that's worth it. You know, I've reached that way.
0: What I'd like to see is when somebody gets into a conversation about the fear, first of all, have the stats ready to show that those fears are unfounded. And next, have the solution points ready To say, this is where the focus should be. So it's not about immigrant crime. It's not about stealing jobs. It's not about any of the stuff that you're hearing that's making you afraid. It's more about what is driving this immigration. And instead of funding a bunch of advanced technology to police immigration, why don't we take all that money and put it somewhere to make people happier where they live right now? And I just want to make sure that people have that information so that when they have those conversations, they can put the hammer down on the propaganda and tell people where the focus needs to be in order to truly fix the issue.
2: And Annie, I appreciate what you said so much. And I appreciate Tracy and the work that she is doing. And and absolutely, I believe what I'm doing is worthwhile, but I do this because of who I am, not because I'm under any illusion that it's going to, you know, really affect anything in this world on any scale over any time period. And that may sound awful, but just like you said, I might reach one person or 10 people or a hundred people. CNN reaches a hundred million people. You know, for the National Butterfly Center, for our lawsuit for truth, for justice. We have scraped to bring in $50,000 for our lawsuit against Bannon and Kolfage and Tommy Fisher. With their lies, using racism and fear and everything else, they brought in $25 million. So yes, I'm a pebble that will ripple, but I'm not the tsunami. My hostess is waiting for me, so I need to let you guys go. Tracy, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I really am. Well, thank I know you. I'm strident. I know I can be an asshole. I don't hey, mince I, words.
0: I want um, people to come on and tell their stories, and so I really appreciate you giving me the time <laughs> to come on here and tell your story.
2: Well, and Annie, you know I love you and can't wait to see you again. In terms of plugs. I would love to encourage people to support Austin Water Relief. Uh, Jenny Sevilla and Grassroots Organization have done a fantastic job. They mobilized resources for the migrant camps when Trump's MPP was in place and, and really took care of people. And also the Angry Tias and Abuelas, that's the Angry Aunts and Grandmothers. This is more grassroots organization. They have a Facebook group. You can give to them, same with Austin Border Relief. And the Tias and Abuelas include women who are immigration attorneys and advocates and uh, community organizers, interpreters. They've done phenomenal work. And then, of course... The National Butterfly Center would not be where it is today without border wall in court against Bannon, fighting for justice, if not for the ACLU, the Texas Civil Rights Project, and even the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Southern Borders Communities Coalition, and Earth Justice. Oh, and Sierra Club, Defenders of Wildlife, they all warrant your support. They all did great work over the last four years. There's so much work left to do, and I don't want any of them to suffer from a lack of financial support or donations because people believe that magically everything is better now. The battle rages on for our natural resources, for climate change for justice, for the world that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will inherit. And as you've mentioned, Tracy, that's at the voting box, that's in a foreign country, and it's right here at home. And and we've got to continue to support these organizations that keep up the fight no matter who's in office. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. And thank you, Tracy, very thank much. You. Y'all thank have a good hard. night. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Interesting Bye-bye.
1: conversation. <laughs> Thanks, Mariana. That would add to Mariana's list. Raices Texas.
0: Yeah, please give your plugs. Go ahead.
1: She basically hit everything I would plug except for Raices Texas, okay. which is an immigrants' rights advocacy organization, and they are fierce and they are relentless, and I love them. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tracy, for your time and your excellent questions and your on-point observations.
0: Well, thank you. I I was really glad to have you on and thank you for the recommendation for Mariana. I think it was a very interesting conversation.